Hello and welcome to this episode of Critics on a Bus, the podcast where two best friends review the latest films and talk film theory. Hello and welcome to season three of Critics on a Bus. Normally we 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 ask Paul, or Paul asks me how I'm doing, but unfortunately uh, for this first episode that's not going to happen. Paul is taking a little bit of a break to work on his dissertation. So for this episode we have a special guest critic, which is... Um, as listeners will know, um, or have heard of before, my wife, Ashley. Hello. Hello. Um, she is guest starred on our Frozen 2 episode. Yep. Um, and did a short appearance as our Irish expert on the <laughs> Artemis Fowl review. Um, but today you're here for the whole thing. Yes. Very exciting. Yes. Glad to be back. Thank you. Um, just so you know, if you hear little noises, I'm currently sitting with our brand new baby. Um, he's like sleeping in my lap right now as we record this, so... If you might hear some cute baby noises throughout the episode. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, we took a little bit of a break, especially due to COVID. There was no new films coming out and to give us time to recharge. And and, um, the fact that we had a baby as well, uh, and Paul's been working really hard on his school. Um, So we've taken a little bit of a break, but cinemas are returning and opening again. Um, And we thought it's time to start season three of Critics on a Bus. How exciting. Indeed. So, Ashing, what are we doing for the first episode back? So, we are going to rank all eight of the Harry Potter films in order from worst to best. Yes. Um, this does not include the Fantastic Beasts films. No. Um, as as normal in Critics in the Bus, we have not seen each other's lists. Uh, we did a marathon over the past few days um, of all eight films, and it was very hard not to talk about them <laughs> to each other because we normally do. Um, but we've managed to contain ourselves, and so we're going to go through um, all eight Harry Potter films and see what we think, um, and see how controversial or not. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. We find it to be not many people ever rank Harry Potter, so I don't know no. if our lists are controversial or not. Yeah, it's not something people really talk about all that often. I think people either talk about how they're a Harry Potter fan or not mm. and it's very much a conversation of oh do you like the books or do you like the films or that kind of a thing people don't generally talk about which one is their favourite or at least their least favourite mm. um, so yeah I'm intrigued to see how much we upset people <laughs> possibly <laughs> yeah it's going to be very interesting I want to say before we even get into it that I started the marathon last week like fully aware of what my list was going to be <laughs> I changed almost half of it. Really? Yeah, and I'm quite, I'm not sure whether it's a good change or a bad change. Um, Interesting. And and how it is, I did not take as copious notes as you did during the marathon either. So <laughs> I'm going to be um, on the, the the wing of my, my seat of this one. So my list didn't change as much as I thought it might. Um, there was a few things like where it jumped around a little bit, but yeah, I was surprised at how much it stayed the same. So. Okay. I'm intrigued. That will be interesting. <laughs> right then. So, um, I guess without further ado, let's yes. start. And we'll start off with you. Okay. Uh, we're going to take this one at a time. Like, we're going to do each do the same number at the same time. So, so we'll go from we'll go bottom. From, we'll go from eight, hers, and then mine, and then seven, six, and so yeah. forth and so forth. So, we're not going to have too much of us, one of us speaking at one time. So, what is your worst Harry Potter film? So this may not be a shock to many people. If anyone has spoken to me about the Harry Potter films, they might know. But my least favourite Harry Potter film, without question, is The Half-Blood Prince. This film, for me, like, 
oh my goodness, I have so many issues <laughs> with this film. The biggest problem I have with this film is that it is just super, 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 super inaccurate as compared to the book. Yeah. Which for a lot of people is an issue in many things, but for me, they, they just ruined the entire plot of this film. Like, it was, it was terrible. When you consider the context of where we're at with this film, you know, the, the fight against Voldemort's really heating up. He's been back for about a year. Harry and Dumbledore have been really struggling against the Ministry and, you know, a lot of the wider public not really believing them and all of this. And then um, the worst happens and Harry loses Sirius, his, the only family member that he has. Um, and then people finally start to believe him. Voldemort comes much more out into the open and he, you know, a lot of really serious things start happening. He starts, you know, there's more blatant attacks on people and things like that. And all of that is just brushed over to make it into this sort of teeny rom-com that's all about the Ron, Lavender and Hermione love triangle. And that's all they can focus on. And there's these, you know, funny flirty lines and, you know, little jokes here and there. And then there's a little random tidbit about Ginny and which is all fun and, you know, funny. And there's lots of bits that make me laugh in this film. But whenever they get back to the serious plot of things, I just get really angry because none of the plot is set up properly. It's a big mess. <laughs> this film upsets yeah. me. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on, on number six? I mean, I agree. Like, it, I mean, there's no point waiting. It's also my number eight. Um, <laughs> just glad. Just to I'm get glad. out there now. <laughs> it's also my number eight. So we can give a proper discussion about this. Good. I mean, we talk about it a little bit when we're watching it. Like, some of the characters are even in the wrong year. Yeah. Like, Katie Bell. Yeah. Pretty sure is older than Harry. Yeah, she's in the same year and in the same potions class and everything. I mean, there are some aspects I like. I like Horace. I like, you know, yeah. like the Felix Felicis scene and things like that. Mm -hmm. And some of the acting's really good, but the storyline is so far removed from the book that it just it just doesn't make sense. It is a rom-com. Yeah. It's not Harry Potter. And, yeah. and then if you think about that in the context of all eight films, it then changes... It changes tone from like six to seven so dramatically. It's like a whole different franchise. It's so dark and serious and stuff, and they don't really lay up the character developments well. And the whole like you miss a whole relationship with Harry and Ginny. The way they just toss that in, like when it's just they like go, they go, Mwah. yeah, when they go to the room of requirement, and she's just like, oh, and by the way, Mwah. and then at the end of the film, when they're on the the balcony, I think in the owlery, yeah. And he and Hermione makes some joke about just don't snog Ginny too much in front of Ron. And I'm like, but actually he broke up with her at the end of the sixth book, having them having already dated for like half the book. Yeah, they were like, they spent ages together. And this there is so much of that that they just kind of gloss over. That was one of the films you needed to turn into two. They should have just focused a lot more on the important plot points. So the the really like serious things that they didn't cover enough for me at all was they don't show how like almost unhealthily obsessed Harry becomes with this potions book. They don't talk about sort of how he carried it around all the time. He was constantly reading it. He slept with it, I think, at one point. They do talk about that. They, they brush on it, like, very... It's sort of like, you know, a really casual sort of him grabbing the book in a weird way in the back of a scene. And if you hadn't read um, the novel, you wouldn't know that that's what that's supposed to be portraying. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. And then at the end, they sort of have this like weird, after he casts the Sectum Sempra spell on Malfoy, he, they just have this weird sort of like intervention where they're all sat in the common room looking very somber. And you can tell it's that conversation where they're trying to be like, Harry, this book is dangerous, but they're just like, you need to get rid of it. And that's it. Like that's all they do to cover it. And it's just, 
it doesn't go deep enough on that for me at all. They don't even touch on Harry like grieving Sirius at all. The end of the fifth film is Sirius dying, that massive battle between Dumbledore and Voldemort in the ministry and then Harry just like sobbing on the floor and like not being able to cope with the fact that he's lost the only family that he had. And then the first scene in the sixth film is him flirting with some girl in a coffee shop in a train station. When we know that that's not how he was at all. He was like at home, he was miserable in the Dursleys. Like they just took a complete left turn and were like, oh, we're just gonna make like a teenage chick flick. That was a big issue for me as well. They just kind of cast that whole serious thing aside. They also don't talk about Percy. Percy Weasley, how he, you know, goes to work for the ministry and he thinks Harry is wrong. They basically have no magical education in this film whatsoever. It's yeah. just, they don't, like, there's no ever, there's one potions lesson and then that's it. They also don't talk or cover enough about how everybody gets really obsessed with this concept of Harry being the chosen one. Yeah. That's not covered at all. They don't really have much about Harry's private lessons with Dumbledore. They leave out the whole story about the Gaunt family. And how Tom was descended from Salazar Slytherin and through that family and how Dumbledore got the ring. They just skim over yeah. all of it. It's, it. It is the worst of the, of yeah. the lot. And like, it's an issue I have with David Yates, the director. He kind mm. of glosses over these, which will be interesting later on in my list. Um, but yeah, like it just becomes this sort of like, they just lose their way. They lose their focus in the whole kind of plot points yeah. and everything. The worst for me, they didn't give Dumbledore a funeral. That is tragic. Yeah. That's really tragic. Spoiler they... alert. Dumbledore, Dumbledore dies. <laughs> if your mum and listening to this, just, just don't forget. Don't forget. Dumbledore dies. Dumbledore dies. Anyway. Moving on. Number seven. So for number seven for me is the Order of the Phoenix. Interesting. Yeah. I, that I, is interesting. It, it was difficult because I have real issues with number six. And I honestly, I hate film number six. And then above that, it's very much like, which do I like the least? It was hard to choose. But I put number five in this position because I feel like this book um, happens so much in Harry's head and it's very dark and an awful lot of it is his thoughts and that's very difficult to adapt to film, which I totally appreciate. Yeah. And so I think this one is here in this position more so because it's just a difficult film to really understand a lot of what happens. There's all these kinds of weird, like snappy shots of like Voldemort screaming and Harry screaming which is meant to sort of be the moments where their minds connect and where they're sort of you know Harry's having these difficult thoughts and things and so that's kind of difficult to portray but again a lot of the key plot points for me were kind of just skimmed over they spent a lot of the film focusing on Umbridge which can I just say Imelda Staunton what an incredible performance like 10 out of 10 casting because yeah. she's just fantastic and she, she I really enjoy watching her in that role and I think as well, you know, people hate Umbridge so much because we've all had a teacher in our lives that we really don't like. And so I think everyone relates to her, to hating her. And she is very entertaining to watch, but I do feel like they spent a lot of the film focusing solely on Umbridge and what she did um, versus kind of the wider plot and a lot of the other things that were going on that become important later on in, you know, book six and seven. And also they don't have Quidditch in this film. Which no. I, I know gets banned halfway through the year that, anyway. That but is that is one of the cardinal sins that film for yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. They just were like, oh yeah, Quidditch isn't a thing anymore. Like uh, that, that does annoy me. Because that's year one's first year. Yeah. In Quidditch. I think so. Because mm. I know they did the whole thing of him auditioning, auditioning? Um, <laughs> trying out for Keeper in the sixth film. Yeah. But I think originally that happens in the fifth book. 
what happens in both he doesn't get a place that the second year. yes you're right you're right yeah yeah they just leave it out and then the whole thing of like you know fred and george um exiting the castle but they don't even explain how they had to like break their brooms out of umbridge's like closet wherever mm-hmm. she had them locked up and banned yeah or had they used their triwizard money to exactly which is a nice segue into my seventh film, which is The Goblet of Fire. Okay. The reason that's number yeah. seven is because it is they have missed out everything bar the Triwizard events. Yeah. It's basically just three three events. And it bugs me so much because that, that book is huge. There is, like, Ludo Bagman? Where the heck is he? Oh my goodness, yeah. He's a huge part of the Triwizard Tournament. I thought he existed. He's, all, he's, he's, <laughs> he's there throughout the, the, Quidditch, the Quidditch World Cup and mm-hmm. all the Triwizard events. He gambles with the Weezied Brothers. Like, the maze is different from the book. Like, everything outside of the actual Triwizard events has been removed and that bugs the hell out of me. It really irks me because it's just like, that's not the point of the film. Like, they, they just removed all the extra school stuff and to these three events because of that i really don't appreciate what the filmmaker did mike mm-hmm. newell the director that on that fact alone it's number seven interesting only because number six is so bad it's not last <laughs> wow because yeah. i i feel like i have the same issue with number four like they skim out like you say they skim over a lot of the actual school year. all of the school yeah because like, i think it's for like, the biggest book as well so something like, like that and like even like even in the film like when the other schools arrive, which I'm pretty sure is not at the beginning of the school year. No, it's not until like October, November yeah. or something. But like, which they don't ever explain. No, of course. But if it, if it, if you follow the way it's meant to look in the film, mm-hmm. they arrive at the beginning of school year. So why are all the kids in the courtyard in their normal earth clothes and not the Hogwarts robes? <laughs> normal earth clothes. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, like, they should have been changed before they got to Hogwarts. The yeah. whole point. There's these little like discrepancies that start to creep in, I feel like, in yeah. film four where they, you know, they're not as strict on them being in their robes and things like that. And yeah, it gets a bit odd. And it's just like, no, 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 no. That's not the point. <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's, there's all these little things that... Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, the, like, Mad-Eye and all that kind of stuff, and it's really good, but yeah. the the lack of filmmaking and story development is so poor, number seven. It would be number eight, but six is terrible. Interesting. I'm scared about what you'll think where I've placed that on my list now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on to number six. Yeah. For me is Philosopher's Stone. Interesting. Which is only this low down because I like the other films above it more. Okay. I feel like this film is... I don't really have any issues with this film. It's a beautiful film. It's very simple. You know, it's not a very long plot. It's not a very long story. There's not a huge amount to cover. And so generally, it's pretty accurate. They leave out a couple of things like the like potion logic puzzle that Snape sets as mm. one of the tests to get through to the Philosopher's Stone at the end. Um, and I think there's one other that they leave out as well, which I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But other than that, it's it's fairly accurate for the book, um, which for me, in case you haven't noticed by now, is a pretty big factor generally. But I do think it's just, it's a beautiful film. It sets the whole world up really well. The music in it is so beautiful. Yeah, it's John Williams. So why would it not be beautiful, of course? Yeah. And it's so sweet, like, to watch it now. And, like, they look like such innocent little babies, you know, little 11-year-olds. It's so cute. It's a good film. I don't really have any issues with it. It's it's just nice and simple. It's a well-done film. But if I say to myself, mm, I kind of am in the mood to watch a Harry Potter film, which one will I watch? I very rarely will choose Philosopher's Stone 
I, I don't know. I just wouldn't, it wouldn't be my first choice to put it on. And so that was another factor as to why I was like, yeah, it's fine. But I don't have as much, you know, emotional, like, yes, what a film about this one as I do some others. Mm, so. Mm. Okay. Okay. Number six is the first one that I changed. Oh, okay. So at number six, we have the Chamber of Secrets. What? I'm very upset by this. <laughs> so the reason I put Chamber of Secrets six is because although, like, I love the Chris Columbus aesthetic that mm-hmm. he established in the Philosopher's Stone and carries on to Chamber of Secrets, I find that, like, Gildor Lockhart is really funny, you know, he's crazy ass, and then, like, you've got you've got the whole kind of storyline. It's just, the film just feels a bit basic at this point, because the Philosopher's Stone is a bit novel. It's, like, new right. and exciting, and, like, it feels really, like, kind of, like, really kind of historic world, and all this kind of, and the Chamber of Secrets just feels a bit just sort of, like, plodding along. It's just sort of... This is so upsetting. It's just sort of next, and wow, you know, I mean, it was the first, it was the first Harry Potter film I saw in the cinema, and so you'd think that nostalgia will play a huge part into yeah. that. Yeah, and it should. But, and this was originally in my old list. This was fourth. Wow. Um, so it's dropped two. Dang. Um, when we did the marathon, it just became the film. I was like, yeah, next. Ugh. I was much more excited to get to like the new age. Like, I decided to start it, and then I get to get the new age. And so it's kind of that film that's kind of caught in between. It's kind of like the Ant-Man and the Wasp of the MCU. Yeah. Right? The film in between the big ones. I get what you mean. And so um, it just sort of kind of got lost in, like, the hoo-ha of all the, the other ones. And so... I get what you mean, because, like, obviously we know what happens in the rest of the universe. And so, like, it does become far more exciting and more interesting as things go on. But, I don't know, I disagree. But I think it's on an emotional level. In the, in the, in the, um, in the marathon, I think... Even in the Chamber of Secrets, I, I, I wasn't paying attention. How dare you? That's why it's so low on your list. You missed all the best parts. But like, it, did, <laughs> it, it didn't have enough to keep me going. Mm. And the other ones did. And so, yeah, it's number six. Okay, I'll give some more thoughts when we come to where I have that on my list. I'm scared. <laughs> so, number five. <clears throat> number five for me is Deathly Hallows Part One. Oh. I, I really like this film. And just, can I also just say, I'm so glad that they split Deathly Hallows into two films. When they announced that they were going to do that back in like 2009, 2010, whatever it was, I was like, yes, praise the heavens. Because then I knew that they weren't going to absolutely destroy it in the way that they had done with Six. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Deathly Hallows Part 1, I really like. It is a little bit slow at times. Like the film, it just kind of, like you were saying with Chamber of Secrets, it does just kind of like plod along a little bit. But I feel like that's the plot. Like, the whole first half of the book is them just, like, sitting in a forest being like, okay, where should we find the next Horcrux? So, like, I get that's difficult to adapt. But it does make it not that exciting to watch. And that's, you know, there's nothing that can be done about that. It's the plot. It is what it is. And there are some plot problems that... But they were all caused by things that they left out in the sixth film. So there's, like, a couple of things that they... um, They kind of don't really explain properly. So, for example, when they when Harry has that shard of the mirror and he keeps looking into it and then Mm. when they get rescued from Malfoy Manor by him looking in the mirror and going, help us. But they never explained previously that that was a mirror that Sirius gave him as a gift and he was said like, you know, it's a two-way mirror if you need to talk to me, look into it and say my name and then we can communicate. He gives him the mirror in um, the fifth book. But then because they completely skim over him grieving for Sirius, they leave out the fact that he trashed the mirror and smashed it and then found that little shard and decided to keep the shard because he kept thinking that he was seeing Sirius in the mirror 
and then it turns out to be Aberforth Dumbledore in the end but they just don't explain that and then all of a sudden he's just got this mirror and he's like help us like where did that even come from mm. and there's little things like that throughout the film that kind of bug me but I blame them all on film number six <laughs> rather than taking them out on film number seven I also some of the things that I really like about this film though I love when they go back to Godric's Hollow um, and a lot of the sets in this film because they finally got to explore you know somewhere outside the castle there's lots of visually beautiful sets and lots of beautiful things to look at which is really nice um, and I really loved as well the way they adapt the um, the tale of the three brothers the oh, whole yeah. visualization that they do while Hermione is narrating it's very different and it's very unique but it's so beautiful and mm. it, it keeps you engaged throughout that whole um, sequence because otherwise it could be quite boring it's just Hermione reading a story and you're like whatever yeah. but it's very important to the plot and so the way that they did that was very clever and really helped to hammer home those important points I think the worst but sort of also the best part of this film is when Dobby dies it's so emotional and it makes me so sad and I love Dobby so much and literally every time we watch that film I cry and so that's sort of like bonus points for that film but also negative points at the same time because it's really sad Lots of people die in this film, and it just—it's very film. upsetting. Yeah. My number five uh, is Hallows Part Two. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, although it's the whole kind of culmination of the mm. whole thing, it's very busy. It's frantic. Very, very busy. I mean, the whole thing is basically just the Battle of Hogwarts, which I'm glad they dedicated a lot of time to. Yeah. But it just drag it out for a lot, like almost two hours or something, you know. And although there's there's so many great moments, like at this point we're now at like the the kind of least best of the best, you know. It's, yeah, exactly. It's sort of like the Marvel thing where you kind of go, how do I, how yeah. do I kind of rank great films all in like and put them in a ranking? Mm-hmm. But there is this there is a specific reason that I put Deathly Hallows Part Two down here, and that is for the way Voldemort dies. <laughs> now we spoke about this. <laughs> When we watched it because I fully believe a hundred percent. So, to give you some context into the to Death Hairs Part Two release, it was one of the first ever big films to be released in three D. I think I saw they did. It they was, tried to do Part One and Two in three D. Actually, it was meant to kickstart the whole three D craze mm-hmm. in cinemas. It didn't really work because three D is rubbish yeah. in cinemas. Such a gimmick. It's such yeah. It's such a waste of your money. Don't do it. <laughs> And so the death of Voldemort and like some of the, the, the way that Nagini moves is all to be 3D jump scares. And Voldemort's death of like the whole flaky thing is meant to be a, a 3D effect that he almost like disappears into the into audience. The and it's like you've all been that experienced in his death. And it's such a gimmick. It's such like a just like a... It's you're so pandering, disappointing. You're pandering to a mm-hmm. pointless sector yeah. of your industry. No. Focus on the traumatic death that happened in the books. Focus on the source material, not pandering to some pathetic 3D glasses that don't yeah. really work and give yeah. you a headache. Like, Especially because that's the culmination of what we're talking like 10 to 15 10 years, years worth yeah. of books and films. We know this is one of the biggest franchises in the world. They had a massive audience at that point. By, like, this, by this point, they had, out, they had made more money than all 20-something James Bond films. Dang. That's how much money that Harry Potter was making. It wow. beat 20 films that dated back to the like, 50s, 60s. That's crazily impressive. It, it's crazy money. Yeah. But the fact that they do that, and they, despite the, the power, the influence, and the money they have, they pander to 3D propaganda is ridiculous. And that is why the film is, uh, is number five. 
on that fact alone yeah. knocks it down the I have to say that is one of my like least favourite parts of that film like there are a lot of things to like about that film but it's just I remember like watching it for the first time in the cinema and it coming to that part and me being like okay this is it he's gonna die it's gonna be so good and then he just sort of went yeah. and just disappeared and I was like it's a hundred percent is that it it's a hundred percent to get 3d yeah effects. it was it, it like I feel like it didn't give you give the emotional payoff that you wanted for Voldemort's death it was just sort of like a quiet like whew, yeah poof and he was gone poof. Poof. yeah so that's that's number five for me fair okay um okay so we're halfway there okay so this is the top half of the list yes so what is number four so number four for me is um ironically number four Oh. Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. Yeah. So, again, like you said, this is kind of like, you're in that stage of like, oh, how do I really choose? Like, which ones are the best? Um, and like we said, I do, I don't appreciate the way they skim over an awful lot of the school year, but there is so much to pack into this film um, that I'm kind of like, okay, I'll kind of forgive it, like, a little bit. Because I think they do, the bits that they do cover really, really well. Um, I think, when, like like you said with um, the Chamber of Secrets, there is that little bit of an issue in that it sort of starts to plod along and it's just, this is what happens next. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get that a little bit through kind of two and three. But then when you get to number four, it's all kind of exciting and it's fresh and something brand new is happening. And it really expands the magical universe because you start to meet these other schools and, you know, there's a whole other thing of like, the world outside of Hogwarts a little bit more with the Quidditch World Cup and things like that. Some of the bonus point things for me is that I like to kind of call this film Harry Potter in the year no one got haircuts. Yeah. It's really funny. They all have these... terrible haircuts. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like the stylized thing. They all go for these really shaggy haircuts. Uh, also, obviously, bonus points because Ireland wins the Quidditch World Cup. How could I not be proud of that? It's great. And I do feel like there's lots of like really funny lines, especially Fred and George. I feel like they really start to come into their own in this. Like The writing in it is really good. Yeah. And I also think the the graveyard scene at the end is super, super intense. And you like I remember watching that in the film and I think I was just like gripping like the, the arm of the chair. It was so intense. Even though I knew what was going to happen, you kind of don't know how it's going to play out and it's really exciting. My biggest bugbear with this film is that they cut out the house elves and they don't show you little free Dobby living his best life. Yeah. It's so sad that they, he's not there and he's, you know, he pops up every so often in the Gryffindor common room and comes to visit Harry and he's the one who gives him the gillyweed. Like okay fine Neville had his little moment but that's not Neville's moment that's Dobby's moment like how dare you (laughs) how dare you okay it's not Neville's time (laughs) so yeah that's kind of the biggest issue I have with the film is that they don't they don't give Dobby his moment to to save Harry but actually really help Harry and not sort of like accidentally kill or almost injure Harry really severely in the process seriously injure (laughs) (laughs) Dobby did not mean to harm Harry Potter (laughs) so yeah that's why number four is there. Okay. It's just one of the least liked best ones. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, different opinions on that one. Mm-hmm. All right. My number four. This was my number one. Ooh. That's bold. Uh, and that's it got knocked down for many reasons. And that is The Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. So this was my number one. Okay. So it, the reason it was my number one for a long time is because it, it was the whole reinvention of the Harry Potter world. It changed from the kind of stiff Christopher Columbus look mm-hmm. and the and you know they dealt with the whole like they just kind of like I like how they just kind of dealt with the the, the whole Rich Tara's passing and the getting yes. getting Dumbledore and they just kind of 
made it his own thing. They kind of just played into it. And I really like the new look. Yeah. I really like the kind of like the facelift that Hogwarts got. Even though the grounds was a bit confusing after that. Yeah. It, did, it made a lot less sense. Everything started to get a little bit all over the place. Yeah. And like and Hagrid's then, hut was like randomly like 10... ten down a hill. Yeah. And it, and it kept changing away. throughout the films. And very it got, bizarre. It got, it got very confusing. But I just loved the, the, the feel, the aesthetic, the look of the film. The the way they did the Marauder's map. Yes. Um, oh. The whole kind of thing with Sirius Black and, yeah. and Lupin and Snape and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. going through it. It was really, 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 really good. One again, one of the reasons it's not a knockdown is because I don't like how they ended it. How did they end with it? With the firebolt. Oh yeah. Like one of the yeah. biggest like like Maybe... middle fingers to the book <laughs> that they ever did was like let let's ignore what you put in the middle of the book and make it at the end. Yeah. But we're not telling you that this is the end of the year because they're all still in there the no one's like leaving or going home or on the they're all just kind of like Yeah. And but like if that's the case, if you put it where it's meant to be, the book you've got like, wh- what what timeline are you working with here? And it's that very just confusing. that thing makes no sense. I'm not I'm not really bored with how they left it. Yeah. As a film. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. If they do kind of end it a bit oddly. Yeah. Also, I really hate the freeze frame that they end on like Harry's blurry face yeah. that's flying through the sky. Really... It's always bothered me. I yeah. don't know why. I, I I yeah I just don't get it. Like I love everything everything else, but. Yeah. I think that thing when I watched it in the marathon it, it bugged me mm. it bugged me a lot and I feel like you might have left that at your top if I hadn't pointed it out and been like you know what annoys me I hate the way maybe, you didn't do that right and maybe, now I'm annoyed at maybe. myself <laughs> I, think you knocked, I think you helped knock it down in the that's marathon. so disappointing but yeah that that was okay it was good it's a good film it, it mm-hmm. has a lot I agree it doesn't it doesn't miss a lot either mm-hmm. um you know, and the whole kind of like time travel thing, and they kind of they do that really well. Yeah. And the whole Patronuses, and they do it really well. But there's just something about the ending that really irks me. Yeah, that I think I just can't I can't get over. So top three. What makes it to number three? I'm having a bit of a moral dilemma now oh, because no. I've started to well not a moral dilemma, I've started to think that I want to switch my three and two around. Okay, no, I'm gonna go with my original list. Okay, go with you, gut. So, at number three is The Chamber of Secrets. Okay. Um, And this was difficult because I wanted to put this at number two. Because when I was younger, I had this film on VHS. It was on tape and I watched it so many times that I actually wore the tape out. (laughs) So, for a long time, this was my favourite Harry Potter film. And I really, really like this one for a lot of reasons. The characters are great. You meet Dobby for the first time. You meet Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. Lockhart is just so funny. Like, Kenneth Branagh does a fantastic job portraying him. He's great. And again, it's pretty close to the book on all the, like, mm-hmm. you know, the really important things, which is easy to do because it's a shorter book, so therefore it's really easy for them to get it all in. And yeah, I liked it. I, it's just a great film. I really like the intensity. I like how they portray, you know, the, the visual aspects of everyone being petrified and how all of that works. Yeah, all in all, just a really good film. Yeah. I don't have much else to say on that. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. So my number three is The Philosopher's Stone. Wow, that's quite high. Um, Because, like, it's where it all starts. Chris Columbus, Chris Columbus to direct a great introduction to that yeah. world. Like, mm-hmm. we, a lot of us, let's, like, for me, I was not, as a kid, I did not read. My introduction to Harry Potter was this film. Oh, interesting. So, like, I got into the books after the first film <gasps> came out. Scandal. And then, well, I didn't read as a kid. 
I got into Harry Potter by reading the books first and then I oh. went to see the film. So that's interesting that you came via the film. I think one wow. book. I think I came after the first film. So I, I made it into the books before the second film came out. Interesting. I um, didn't. <laughs> but like, and so but this, you know, it's such a, it's such a faithful vision of, mm-hmm. I think, JK's world. And it's so how you imagined it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even when I read the later books, I still, in a way, picture the version from... From film one. From Christopher Columbus's vision. And less so of, of Alfonso Cuaron's onwards. And so, you know, everything is just so magical and great about it. And it's you see it through the, the eyes of wonderment as much as the characters do. And the whole thing just really, really works. It's such a strong, solid story because it follows the source material really, really closely and really well. The casting is really great. And, I mean, they're not the best actors as kids, but who <laughs> is? What kid actor is great, you know? Yeah. If anything, I think that's Daniel Radcliffe's best film. I feel like he got worse as they went on. <laughs> Sorry. But, you know, <laughs> Sorry, Dan. And so, like, but there's there's all that kind of emotion inside for us and this nostalgia, and then mm-hmm. they just they just hit it, right? They yeah. just do so well in getting those kind of moments and introduced to all the different themes. And, like, I love, you know, seeing Diagon Alley for the first time. Yeah. You it know? does sort of give you that, like, childlike excitement of, like, how you felt the first time you read the book or the first yeah. time you watched the film. It does kind of bring Which that Which is back. things that... You, this is something I forgot to talk about. There's things you could have put in in Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, they lost all of his, like, living in Diagon Alley. Yeah. And the Leaky Cauldron for so long. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love those... I love those, like, non-Hogwarts moments of Harry Potter in, mm-hmm. the, in the books where... You know, he spends more... In the book four, he spends more time at the at the borough. Yeah, he's there for like a month, isn't he? Yeah, denoming and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Goodness. But and they 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 skim over all of those aspects of like just the, the wizarding life. Yeah. That you don't kind of get that richness. And like, Philosopher's Stone is... You kind of get a little bit of that, but like, because it's all new wizarding life to you, it's all very exciting. Yeah. And, like, and then they just sort of like, kind of like hop skip and jump over it the rest of it time mm-hmm. it's like oh but like that's part of the magic it's not just school it's like living mm-hmm. as 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 a wizard yeah witches. yeah that's a fair point and so yeah that's why it's number three for me okay number two number two for me is deathly hallows part two okay um and i was thinking about moving it down to three because i forgot how much i hated voldemort's death until you brought it up but i've stuck with it because There are just so many moments that I really love in this film. And I think it's because aside from Voldemort's death, almost everything else gives you a massive emotional payoff from the investment that you've had in these films and books for the last like 10, 15 years, whatever it was. Like just some of the lines in this film, like when when they bring all the students into the Great Hall and Snape's giving them the speech about how they need to turn Potter over and like how drawn out Alan Rickman gives those lines. He's like, equally like it's, it's just incredible beautiful incredible it's acting. so good like i want them to do a remake of harry potter but i also don't because you can't, you can't, you can't have snape. anyone but alan rickman as no, snape like you no. just can't it's it's just you can't um i also really 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 love this i feel like this film is just a bit of a masterclass in acting because i love the scene where they break into gringotts and they're walking in the lobby and you've got helena bonham carter acting as hermione acting as bellatrix yeah. And it's this kind of like weird mind warp, but you can see so well how she's working hard to portray the awkwardness versus how she normally portrays Bellatrix. And I love that whole scene. I think it's brilliant. Um, I love um like McGonagall's little line where she like gets all the um the soldiers down. She's like, I've always wanted to use that spell. She's just so cute. Um and I really liked as well the way 
that they did Voldemort's announcements because I remember when I read the books I was like oh like how are they gonna how's that gonna be adapted to the film because they all just hear it in their minds but I thought it was really good the way they did it and it was like extra creepy because he was kind of whispering so yeah I thought that was really really clever it re there's a couple of things that upset me with this film one of the things is Voldemort's death like we've talked about it also really bugs me that Harry didn't fix his wand they just like leave that out he gets the elder wand and then he repairs his own wand and then I think destroys the Elder Wand. Like, why did you leave that out? It's very important that Harry fixes his own wand. It's very special to him. And like the way, this is such a small thing, but when, when they're doing the, the sequence of memories from Snape, the way they mm. de-age Snape with the CGI is just so awful. He looks so creepy. There's something really unnerving about what they've done to his face there. What about Neville and Luna? I... I'm not really on board with that. I don't ship them. No, I don't ship them. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not that mad about it because I do really like both of them as characters. And so I'm like, ah, fine, have your happy ending. I know that the, the films are not really what happened anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of, I'm like, mm, you can do whatever you want at this point. Voldemort's dead. We're going to have a nice, happy, truthful ending from the books. Like, we know the truth. <laughs> but what I love about Neville, I feel this is the film I feel like where Neville comes into his own. Like, you see him kind of almost leading the charge from within... Hogwarts and when he arrives into um Aberforth's place and is like come on Harry like we'll get you in we'll get you sorted and he's like I've got your back um and then when Voldemort brings Harry back from the forest after he thinks he's killed him and Neville steps forward and he gives this like impassioned speech about how he's like it was never just about Harry like it doesn't matter like I'm still gonna fight for what's right and I'm gonna fight for what's good which I think is so beautiful because you know how the he was also born on July thirty first, yeah. and he, he was the other version. He was the, the other version. Yeah, he could have been the chosen one, but Voldemort assumed that it was Harry, and so I feel like that little moment was a beautiful sort of like, even if it wasn't Harry, someone else would have stepped up, and someone else would have like fought back, and this war would have happened regardless. And I love that film, and I love Neville's cardigan. So bonus points for Neville's cardigan. <laughs> Interesting. Well, for me, my second is Death Yellows mm. Part One. That's so funny that we literally put them in opposite positions yeah That's so, so funny the thing about death Hallows part one is first of all the the death Hallows story scene oh, is just it's i remember so beautiful i remember once i once we we saw that in the cinema i kind of went home and tried to find it on the internet tried to find, <laughs> i just wanted to rewatch that kind of animation and the way that story was done was just was absolutely stunning mm -hmm. i liked the whole kind of like them going out in the road and them like learning to deal with each other outside of school and like mm -hmm. that kind of broken dynamic of you know the the horcruxes kind of being being like evil in themselves and drawing out the most evil in someone else and you know how that tore them apart and just kind of them kind of living life i mean we we, we, we haven't spoken about actually how dumb harry is <laughs> in all eight of the films <laughs> and how seven is one of it is one of his dumbest moments when he does go into the lake to get oh the sort of god gosh. Gryffindor with the Horcrux around his neck. Every time I watch this film, I cannot help but scream at the at the TV like, like what, what are an you idiot! What an idiot! Yeah. Um. But you know, there's that there's there's just that kind of the whole thing about you know the way that um they kind of learn to deal with each other and that sort of like kind of realism to it. Yeah. The way that it's almost like in the first film they're defeated. Yeah. Like, everyone's just sort of giving up and hunkering down and just yeah. waiting for how, how are we going to beat this. Um, I love the opening of um, Scream Gorge's kind of speech mm -hmm. and, and the way that Bill, um, Bill plays him and the wedding at Fleur's dress. 
It's a great dress. <laughs> I think it's a great wedding dress. Do you wish I'd worn that? <laughs> I do actually. I genuinely do. I just like you know, and just the way they 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 kind of broke into the ministry and and all I that do was love that scene. And all that was done. Like the way that Harry like walks awkwardly, stunted. <laughs> In, he looks well, so constipated. Yeah, while well, he's in the finest person. <laughs> and that whole thing. I mean, yes, there's issues. Like, you know, they never do Grimmauld Place right. In the whole thing. How so? They, they, the mother never screeches on the portrait. Oh my goodness, yeah. Um, there's all these little things that just mm-hmm. never get right. But, you know, they... And they gloss over... The, they spend ages in Grimmauld Place. You know, because they have to make apologies potions. It takes a month to brew. Mm. Um, but, the, you know, they introduce us a bit more of Creature and... You know, Dobby comes back in his little Dobby. boots. And, like, even, like, oh. when one sees him, he's like, I like your boots. He's like, thanks. I know. Um, I wish they had made Dobby a little bit more full of the personality that he had in the yeah. books, though. Like, wearing a colourful, like, a rainbow tea cosy as a hat. I wish yeah. they had let him be who he truly is. You know, <laughs> and, you, and you've got all that. And you've got, like, the evil kind of craziness of Bellatrix and, like, torturing <gasps> Hermione. She's terrifying. And, you know, and there's there's all this kind of great stuff in that. And, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, I just kind of, I just kind of like the different feel of it i like kind of the brokenness of the team mm-hmm. and for some reason it just kind of I was, when i'm watching the math i was like yeah this is actually way better than i realized mm-hmm. so it might be a bit of like kind of I, I haven't watched it for too long so kind of rose tinted it's like the opposite of recollection bias <laughs> yeah um but yeah for some reason it just really worked I'd, and i just kind of liked how even like the 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 love goods home and that how you know how he portrayed himself is kind of like scared and nervous and but like anxious to keep them and yeah like, the yeah. whole thing is just done really well and really subtly and yeah kind of, yeah yeah it's a good one so if you've been following along you know what our top ones are i've just been trying to think in my head which so one what is mind. your top one my favorite film is the prisoner of azkaban mm-hmm. which was mine at one point i know that's why i was so shook that you dropped it down to four <laughs> so i think with this film i think I have a little bit of like nostalgia bias towards this because this is the first film that I remember seeing in the cinema. I possibly may have seen two in the cinema, but I don't I don't remember seeing it. But I vividly remember going to see this one for the first time in the cinema. Um, and I hadn't read the books when I went to see this one. And I remember sitting there for ages and I could not figure out the plot twist. I had no idea that Hermione had a time turner. I was so confused by mm-hmm. all of this. And I remember my dad sitting there so smugly like, I know what's going to happen. And I was like, how do you know? You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. Like so stressed about it. And then at the end he was like, yeah, I knew they were going to go back in time. And I was like, what? How did you know that? Like it blew my mind. So yeah. the whole concept of time travel was just like fantastic for me. I loved that. I also like, this is such a really random thing, but I love how like dainty and delicate the time turners are. Like they're so, I don't know, they're just really pretty. I've always thought that that was really nice. (laughs) Like I often think when you think about time travel, you think about big snazzy machines, kind of like what you see in um, Endgame. You know, this massive machine that they have to all get in and it's very complicated physics and blah, 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 blah. And it's all, you know, fascinating things. And literally, Hermione just has a little necklace where she just goes like, twist, 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 and then she goes back in time. And it's really interesting. But I suppose you could technically say that those big size machines are mostly time and dimension machines because they move them through time. She stays still in time. Sure. A bit of sci-fi random near. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've lost yeah, me, but okay. that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> it just went straight off my head. Yeah. But that's all right. What uh, yeah, I just I love this film. This is when ha- like Harry comes into his own as a little like sasspot. 
I love the whole thing where Aunt Marge comes to visit and he's oh, he just gets really sassy with her and it's really funny and I really enjoy it. Dawn French as the fat lady. <laughs> It's just beautiful. Like I love that bit where they're standing outside the portrait and she's like singing and she's like, amazing. I wish they had put more of her, in, not only that film, but in all of the films. I think she would, I'm sad that she didn't get more of that role. And I love as well the whole scene where, um, when they discover that Black, Sirius Black has been in the castle and she's like hiding behind that rhino. And she has an interview where she talks about having to film that and they used a legit rhino or a hippo or whatever animal it was. And she said that when they were filming it, he kept pooping. <laughs> and so every time I watch that scene, it makes me giggle thinking about that. I also think it's really beautiful the way, like the emotion of finding out that like Harry actually has some family. Mm. You know, Harry has people that really care about him previously to him coming to Hogwarts in that sense um because you know he meets Ron and Hermione and they become friends and then they care about him but for him finding out that there are people who cared about him when he was a baby and before he was even born and that they still care about him like Lupin and Sirius I think it's really really beautiful um I love Lupin he's one of my favorite characters he should never have died no he shouldn't that is so tragic yeah I think David Lewis does a fantastic job portraying him. I just think he's the perfect Lupin. I can't imagine anyone else in that role. Yeah, it's it's such a beautiful film. And one of my favourite things in this film is the Dementors. They terrify me. And I actually prefer these Dementors to the ones later on in the film. Mm. Um, in the films where the ones later on, you can kind of see their faces and you can actually see their hands and things. Whereas in this one, they're just like these kind of floating like cloaks almost. I think that's much creepier because you it's almost that, that sense of like, you don't know what's underneath that cloak. It could be anything. I find those much, much scarier than the later ones. Do you have a preference on the Dementors? I think possibly yes, but I think because they're used in very different ways. They use them as weapons in later films. Mm. So like, it, maybe humanising them was part of that. Maybe. I really think that Michael Gambon does a great job stepping up as well as Dumbledore. And I think... I don't know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people have probably have thoughts on whether they preferred, which which Dumbledore they preferred, but I love them both equally. Yeah. I think Richard Harris was the perfect Dumbledore to start off with. He's that sort of soft and gentle, but sort of like secretly witty and crackpot sort of old man that we love. And you can, you know, he's the sort of man that you feel would sort of like make a joke and then wink at you behind someone's back and sort of like have that little laugh with you. Whereas as, as the films and the books progress, that that element of Dumbledore's personality sort of goes away and he does become more serious, which I think Gambon portrays equally well. Um, and I don't know how well Richard Harris would have done that side mm. of it and the sort of almost aggressive Dumbledore that has to come out in certain points, like when he has to fight with the minister and when he has to fight with Voldemort and all those kinds of things. Equally, I don't know how well Gambon would have done as the sort of soft granddaddy Dumbledore that you see in the first ones. So... Yeah, I thought this was, I think this film's a really great transition into that sort of like more exciting side of things. And again, start to open up, you know, a whole lot of other things within um, the Harry Potter world that we hadn't experienced before. And also I feel like they look their best in this film. Like of all the, of all the looks that they go through, all the haircuts, all the fashion choices, I feel like this is like top notch. A weird note to end on, I feel it like. It is a weird note to end on. It's something I've always liked about that film. I don't know. It's just, it's it's a great film. I, I love it. It's it's very nostalgic for me. Even with the ending. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Because the ending has the best credits. It does. This film has the best credits of all of them. So. 
I, I forgive the weird freeze frame because then it moves on quickly to the best to the, nice credits. To the best credits. <laughs> All right. So that is your list. Yeah. So my top film is The Order of Phoenix. I'm so intrigued by this. This actually, even in my original, it was second. So it's always okay. been very high. Yeah. The reason, the reason being is I, I, I really like the whole sort of like Harry and Voldemort mirroring mirror each other throughout the film you know the constant like the neck motif of like when he's like connecting to Voldemort oh, yeah, he does the, the whole role he does the mm-hmm. whole kind of neck roll that's generally when he'll see Voldemort yeah he'll neck roll mm-hmm. and he even does it later on in the film yeah that in, becomes consistent in through like the seven and mm-hmm. eight he neck rolls when he like does stuff with Voldemort and so like there's a strong motif there's the whole kind of like kind of Harry learning to deal with this trauma and the kind of almost PTSD of seeing someone die and being yeah. tortured yeah and beaten up by adults and like you know he knows Lucy's Malfoy was in the was in the graveyard yeah and watched him get tortured by mm-hmm. and stabbed and all these kind of things by by these adults and like he knows this yeah and you know he he has to overcome I think because I I've ha- I've not I've not obviously had experiences like this but like I've gone through points where I've edited myself and my friends and had to come back for it. And I yeah. know how hard that struggle is and mm-hmm. And that's a real big personal challenge and struggle that he conquers. It's not easy after leaving your friends for some whatever reason you choose to do it to go back going, I, I need to be I friends again. I need mm-hmm. help. It's a very tough thing to do. Yeah. Um, and we've obviously introduced that Luna Lovegood in this in this film. <sighs> what a queen. What, what a cutie. I love Luna. What a cutie. She's um, the best. And then, you know, there's the, the we spoke about this when the film was happening. Umbridge is incredible. Ugh. Like she is. You hate her, but you kind of love you, to hate her. You you hate her, but you have to admire the performance because oh, yeah. she is, without a doubt, one of the most evil people on film. Like yeah. it's just pure evil. Yeah. And the way she does it, it was so kind of like, <laughs> oh, like the la- the little laugh like, every time so she does like, it. I just so want like, to smack her. Cutesy and pink and <laughs> fluffy and yeah. And behind behind that is one of the most vile people yeah. in the whole of the franchise. I think that's what makes her so scary is that she. Come like you know she portrays herself as this sweet lady and she's so cute and friendly yeah. and fun and like all of this where she's actually really evil whereas with Voldemort we, you just know he's yeah. straight up evil whereas with with Umbridge it's that kind of like hidden aspect of it and yeah yeah it's it's um, almost scarier in a way yeah and like this film does brush over a lot of aspects of the books and then you think based on my like low rankings and certain continuities I yeah. put this down but like for for me when they get into when eventually they decide. Um, to try and save Sirius Black from from Voldemort, and they go to the Ministry. The fight and the death of Sirius is oh. huge. I studied the death of Sirius for sound editing in school in college, um, because of the way the different ways they use the motifs, the different music, and the way they remove sound. Like if, you, if you've listened to some of the, my episode before, you know that the removal of sound is one of my favourite effects. Yeah. Where they remove music and force you to listen to, like, horrible things and mm. really, like, force you and the audience to sit there and kind of go through something. It's a moment where you have to stop eating your popcorn because you know everyone's going to yell at you yeah. if you make a noise. Or whether you remove <laughs> audio and leave it with music and, and force you to watch emotion. Yeah. And I thought, I love the way they did that, where um, it's almost like the emotion of Harry dealing and watching Sirius die so much that you can't cope. Yeah. So they have to, they have to cope for you because it's too much. Mm. And that sort of like rawness and the rawness of like, um, um, Harry's portrayal of just screaming. Yeah. Like, 
I've never been in a position where I've just screamed. Yeah. You know, and just like unadulterated, just screaming. And like Lupin's the first person there with him and he holds him as he's screaming and then that kind of instant anger. And then the fight between Dumbledore and Voldemort is is immense. Visually so beautiful as well. Stunning and just so well done. And like Even the set as well, the way they built the whole lobby of the ministry is beautiful. And again, again with sound, I I say this whole thing for sound and like the Mm. way like when he... When Voldemort uses like the the spell to like blast the glass, just that kind of like that suction of sound and sh- and the quiet yeah. and then the moment of quiet before the blast, all that is just visually audibly just stunning, and I love it. I really really love really love it, and like even even again the sound the sound editing in this film is just a, I, it's one of my favorite things as you might be able to see. <laughs> did you did you like the sound editing? I did. You I haven't did. mentioned. I really did like the sound editing. This one. <laughs> even like when when Harry sees um, Arthur Weasley get kit, like attacked by Nagini. Yeah. And he's in the Dumbledore's office mm-hmm. and Dumbledore's talking to the portraits and that that kind of like the look at me like one just like the the raw anger he really gets but just yeah. the way it kind of snaps the noise and the yeah, build up even that, to him yelling yeah yeah it's it's so kind of just like striking. And that whole that whole thing, I just really, 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 really like. And then, yeah, that that kind of all those elements put together, and just the, the way it really focuses on his like dip into depression mm. and kind of loneliness, and his rise out of that. But then, like his his anger. It's a very and, angry book. Yeah, but and film. But it also makes it's, it makes so much sense. They don't shy away from the fact that he's an angry kid. Yeah. And he's got right Why to be angry. Why wouldn't he be? Look at all of the things he's yeah, gone through. But it was so easy. Like, after that, he's not as angry as much. Yeah. And I think they may gloss over that a little bit. But, like, they really focus on him kind of dealing with the trauma and never dealing with the trauma and, like, yeah. letting it just explode from his emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't know how to cope with all no. of the emotions that he was feeling because nobody could, could help him. Yeah. I think that and then also a lot of, like, the visualisations and the sound and just Umbridge's, like, horrible performance... Um, really works into why it's why it's yeah. my favorite. I kind of feel like I should have put that higher on my list. <laughs> I forgot how convincing you are when you talk <laughs> about things that you like. <laughs> I'm looking at my list, going, "Dang, why did I put that so low?" Yeah, that's why I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> shocking." Right, so there you have it. There is our lists, and um, we'll post them. Yeah. Um, when when this episode goes live, as to um, so you can have a look and let us know in comments, or you can always message us at Critics on Bus as well. Mm-hmm. And let us know what you think of our list, whether you agree or disagree. If you're deeply offended. If you're deeply offended. If you're not sure, do you have a, your own little marathon if you want to and see whether you would agree or disagree with us. But otherwise, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Um, I enjoyed the marathon. Yes. Uh, Xander was quite nice as well. He's very well behaved. He's very well behaved. Um, so good to our little, our little critic um, for, for, for his participation in the episode. <laughs> And look out for more episodes coming soon. More guest critics uh, while I wait for Paul to return. Anything you have to say? Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time. Um, Grimwald. Wait, what are you trying to say? Grindelwald. Grindel- Grindelwald. Place? Grimald. Grimald. That's a spoof. <laughs> because Creature's and not in the previous film because they didn't have... He is. Is he? Yeah. Um, well, you can just cut that bit out then. <laughs> <laughs> I also think as well, um, Richard Harris does a great job stepping in. Richard Har- I mean, Gambon. Jeez, I'm going to start that line again. I have a newborn, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> not, a, not a podcast professional. <laughs> what, like you and Paul have never made mistakes <laughs> like that? 